Friends, this morning, I want to speak to you about something of great importance, something that perhaps should be the number one priority of our Christian lives. Yet, as I continue my pastoral work in this church amongst you, it seems to be something that is for all believers something that is a real struggle. It is, of course, the subject, the topic of our own private prayer. And I don't know, perhaps, as even as I say those opening words of our sermon, perhaps, perhaps our heart sinks within us. Perhaps almost immediately there is this sense of guilt or of discouragement as we consider our own sincere lack of prayer. Well, if that is the case for you this morning, I would, I would urge you, do not be discouraged because this portion of scripture that we are about to study today, not only in this is there, is there much that we can learn, but there is much here in this portion of scripture that can help us and also can encourage us as this morning, we surely seek to turn over a new leaf of prayer. And hopefully you will have noticed uh, that uh, there are sort of three sections uh, to this uh, portion of Scripture. Did you see that in the reading? There are almost kind of three scenes. There are almost three vistas that we have here. So the intention this morning, the aim, is to consider and to look at each of these three scenes. So, if you have not done so already, friends, I would invite you to turn with me to God's Word and to have Mark chapter 1 from verse 29 open in front of you. And let's consider firstly what we see here about praying like the loved. That's our first heading, praying like the loved. Okay, what, what, have, what have we got here? I mean, what is it that we are, what is it we're dealing with here? Well, the first scene, if you look at it there, is dealing with the healing um, of a woman in Capernaum. Now, Jesus, you see how it works. Jesus heals her from a, f- a fever. And this kind of, in turn, it leads to a multitude of people, a kind of vast crowd, and they're all gathering at the door. And you see what Jesus does. Jesus, late into the night, he heals and performs miracles amongst that vast crowd of people. But really, it is actually the healing of that woman that I want us to consider just now, and in particular, the contrasts between that healing and the previous section. So I wonder, do you see the contrast that we're dealing with here? See, I ask you this, straightforward enough. Where did the previous miracle, the the previous miracle that we looked at, where did that take place? Where did it take place? It took place in a synagogue. Didn't it? Do you remember that? I mean, so it took place in what was a very, very sort of public setting, just like ourselves this morning. It was it took place in a communal space. Okay, but what about this today? What about the healing of this woman? It's entirely different, isn't it? Do you see that? It takes place in this private residence, doesn't it? 
when it takes place in this local house, it's much more intimate. When you say this healing, it's much more private. Then think about this. Consider the contrast in atmospheres of the miracles here. Like, do you remember what, do you remember what that previous miracle was like? I mean, there was a, there was an awful lot of noise, wasn't there, in the synagogue last time? This demon possessed man shouting at Jesus. And he's shrieking and screaming and then he's flailing around on the floor. What about this today? Isn't it entirely different? Jesus quietly and he gently raises this woman up from the bed and restores her. Do you see it? The atmosphere is poles apart. Then I guess the most notable contrast, and this is what I want us to think about, is who is involved in the healings here. Now think about that. The, the, previous, the previous healing was done in a synagogue, and it was done amongst a crowd, wasn't it? Couldn't you picture it? Jesus there with his disciples, and he's, he's performing a miracle, and there's a sea of faces, there's a sort of wash of strangers to Jesus, strangers to his disciples, and what about this? What is it? Jesus here in this house is working amongst his very own, isn't he? Isn't that the point? He enters the house of one of his very own disciples. Who's he with? He's surrounded by the men he has chosen. Who does he heal? He heals Simon's very own mother-in-law. Do you see the point? Jesus is working for and amongst his own beloved people. And friends, doesn't that this morning confront us with something most base and fundamental? Doesn't it confront us with the very great love that Jesus has for his own, for us. But isn't that something that we so quickly forget? This week, um, I was reading about uh, Joseph Stalin and the tactics that Stalin would use in warfare. And what Stalin would do on occasion was open his prisons and he would send out his prisoners unarmed into the battlefield in the front line. And he would do that just to locate the enemy position. Isn't that awful? But in our sin. Isn't that sometimes how we think about our God? We think he has this great plan that he's going to fight evil, restore people to himself. But us, we in the church, what are we? We are just as foot soldiers. We are just sent out as this meaningless messengers. Our role is just a means to an end. Is that how we view ourselves? Is that how you Friends, could I say to you, nothing could be further from the truth. Don't you see that it is you this morning in here as a Christian? It is you that is the object of Jesus' love. It is you. Now think about that. The Lord of glory, he loves you. 
the creator of all things, that he weeps over that which causes you pain, that he delights in that which causes you spiritual joy, that the eternal Christ, even this morning, just now, he has affection for you as you turn to him in worship. That this Jesus who works in amongst his beloved people in Mark 1, he loves and he cares for you this morning. Is that not, is that not glorious? But there is something practical here, isn't there? Yes, Jesus loves us, but what do we do? Well, I would ask you to do this this morning. I would ask you just now to put yourself in that Capernaum house. Are you there? Are you in the front room of that house? I ask you, what happened? The door opens and uh, Jesus comes in and he comes in with his disciples. What happens? Does Jesus go into the next room immediately and heal this woman? Is that what happened? That's not what happened. Read. Read it. Look at the end of verse 30. What happens? Jesus enters and immediately the disciples, they speak to him. They tell him. Do you see it? They tell Jesus about this woman and her predicament. Friends, do you see the lesson? Yes, Jesus loves us. What do we do? We speak to him. We tell him in prayer all the anxieties and all the concerns of our hearts and our lives. We speak to this loving God. But I ask you, do you do that? I mean, isn't it, isn't it true that in the private house of our lives, That we have people in the next room and they are spiritually sick. And they are dying of spiritual disease. And we are with Jesus and we are comfortable. And we are not bringing these people in their predicament to his attention. Isn't that correct? Friends, we need to learn from these disciples. We need to see that we must seek with urgency communion with our God. And we must bring the sick, the dying, and the lost to this loving Savior in prayer. Praying like the loved. Secondly, friends, let's consider praying like the Lord. Praying like the Lord. And with this, I suppose we... we come to the second vista, the second scene here, don't we? No longer are we seeing Jesus in this house. What is he now? He is in isolation. He is in solitude. What happens is he leaves Capernaum. He goes into solitude. The disciples find him eventually. You can imagine that search for Jesus. And I think we're brought to the what is Surely a great clarification of Jesus' ministry. You know, Jesus is saying to the disciples there, I'm not, I'm not here to entertain the crowds. I'm not here as a sort of wonder worker. What does Jesus say? He says, I'm here. Our Lord has come. He's come to preach. But really, it is the reason 
friends, that Jesus sought solitude that I want you to think about with me. So the question for you is, you know, why did Jesus leave Capernaum? Why did he go into solitude? He went into solitude to pray, to pray. Okay, now Mark's gospel is very different to the other gospels in the way that Mark deals with Jesus' prayer life. So if you know Luke's gospel, you'll know that Luke, he almost kind of has uh, Jesus in prayer permanently, doesn't he? You know, Jesus prays when he chooses the twelve, prays his baptism, prays the Gethsemane, prays the cross, he's praying. Now Mark is different. Mark only records Jesus in prayer three times. Three times. But I think what's quite telling is where Mark records those instances. So Mark has Jesus praying at the beginning of his ministry, at the end of his ministry, sorry, the beginning, the middle, and then the end of his ministry. So do you see the point? The point is the same as Luke's point, that Jesus was habitual, that Jesus was constant in prayer. What's the lesson? Well, I think what we have to understand is that one of the primary themes of Mark's gospel is that of discipleship. So Mark wants us, the reader, to see that the Christian is to follow in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the lesson? As Jesus heads out of Capernaum and he heads into solitude. What is he doing? He's providing you and I with a pattern, isn't he? You and I are supposed to seek regular, frequent, ready? Private times for prayer. And even as I say that, don't we all despair slightly because is it not true that that this idea of sincere times of prayer is that not one of your greatest struggles in your christian walk isn't it well what i think we've got here in the details of what jesus does is stuff that can really help us what do i mean well have a look at this look at verse 35 consider the when of Jesus' prayer life. When does our Lord pray? Look at verse 35. Do you see it? Very early in the morning, while it's still dark, Jesus went off to pray. Do you see it? I was going to say, you know, at the crack of dawn, but it's not. Before the crack of dawn, Jesus is seeking time for concerted prayer. Now, that that sounds fine, doesn't it? That sounds great to us. What I want you to understand is just how difficult that would have been for our Lord. What do I mean by that? Well, I wonder if you've noticed this. You see, over the last couple of weeks as we've been looking at these episodes in Mark, did you notice that they all take place on the same day? All of that takes place in the same 24-hour period. Did you notice that? So Jesus in Capernaum, 
Then what happens? Jesus in the synagogue, Jesus teaching in the synagogue, Jesus healing that possessed man, Jesus leaving the synagogue, Jesus going into the house, Jesus healing that woman, all the people coming to him, him healing these, all of that. The one day. Now can you imagine how exhausted Jesus must have been? I mean, he's wrestling the very underlings of Satan that day. He's doing that till after sunset, we are told. He's exhausted. And what do we read here? The next morning, he gets up especially early in order to make time for prayer. What a rebuke for us, isn't it? I mean, what a... What a chastisement from God this morning. I mean, we, we moan all the time about how busy we are with the kids and with our commute and with these late nights and in our heart of hearts we see that as an excuse for not getting up early and for not seeking God. Do you not see that is just a work of Satan in our hearts? Friends, I would say to you this morning, please... Please, this week, make time for your God. That even tomorrow morning, rise early and rise early to pray. So the when of Jesus' prayer life, but wait a minute. Notice the where of Jesus' prayer life. Where does he go? What did we say? He went into privacy, went into solitude to pray. Okay, let's, let's call a spade a spade for a moment. Uh, Christian films tend to be fairly rubbish, <laughs> don't they? Uh, I'm sure there are exceptions to that rule. Uh, but Hollywood has tried its best recently with, uh, what was it, Noah and Moses. And I think there was a film released last year that was slated by the critics uh, called God's Not Dead. Now, there is a film that is due to be released, I think it's in this country, in the next couple of weeks. And it is a film called War Room. Now, the premise of the film is pretty straightforward. It follows a Christian lady who begins to experience the dramatic work of God in her life. And all of this happens as she begins to use this little room that she has in her house for prayer. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make, make this abundantly clear. I am not recommending the film War Room, okay? I do not know much about it. But what I want you to see is the wisdom in that woman's practice. She sees, doesn't she, the advantage that solitude will give her in seeking sincerity before her God. And is that not what, what Jesus does here? I mean, is that not what our Lord does here? I mean, what, what are we told here? He travels out of Capernaum. Where does he go? What does the NIV say? It says, a solitary place. The ESV, it says, eh, Jesus travels to a desolate you imagine that? A desolate place. Why? Isn't it? Isn't it obvious? Jesus does not want to be disturbed. This matter of personal communion with his heavenly father is 
far too important to be disturbed. And, and understand this. You see those three instances in Mark's gospel where our Lord prays? Guess what they all have in common? In each one, Jesus is seeking solitude. He's seeking privacy. And friends, I long for you to see this morning how that can help you and I as we seek to turn over this new leaf in prayer. We need to seek privacy. Now, how do, how do we do that? Well, it will vary for each of us in here. But perhaps, what about this? This week, perhaps we seek somewhere new for prayer. Can we do that? Somewhere that we haven't used for prayer before. That we can seek somewhere private. Can we do that? That we can seek somewhere where we are not going to be disturbed by our friends and by our family and by our phones. Friends, if we are serious about God... If we are serious about our times of prayer, we need to do this. We can do this, can't we? We can rise early. We can seek privacy. And we can pray, pray like our Lord. So praying like they loved, praying like the Lord. We'll close the last one here is praying like the leper. Praying like the leper. So if you're following the chapter with me, you see that now we come to this third scene and this third vista. What happens? Look at it from verse 40. So Jesus encounters a very sick man. And then Jesus heals that man. He commands the man not to talk about it. And when the man, and this is the thing I want you to notice. When the man disobeys Jesus, where... What happens at the end? Jesus is in the wilderness. He is unable to go back into the city. That's where we leave him. Okay, okay. I suppose the first thing we've got to deal with is the, this term leprosy. Um, I'm pretty sure that we all know that it covered much more than just leprosy, didn't it? Like what's envisaged here was was basically all kind of chronic, contagious skin diseases. And we know, don't we, that Scripture and the Levitical laws were very, very clear about how those who were affected by such illnesses had to behave. They had to live outside the community. But get this, they also had to show everyone that they had leprosy. Now, do you know how they did that? They were required to dress disgustingly. To dress in dirt, to dress in rags. They were required by the Levitical laws to shout as they walked, I am unclean. I am unclean. And even if a person accidentally came into contact with somebody who had these diseases, so repulsive were these things that that person themselves would become ceremonially, ritually unclean. Now, you won't get this wrong. See the leper? He's not coming to Jesus asking for ceremonial cleansing, is he? Like lepers could, you know, if they went through this elaborate system of washing, a priest could say, you are clean enough to worship God. You see that that's not what the leper's doing, though. 
The leper comes to Jesus and begs, if you are willing, please, after true healing, isn't he? And what does Jesus do? This poor man, Jesus heals him. He heals him. Friends, what is the lesson here? Honestly, I think what we have with this leper is, it is a beautiful thing. Because what you have in front of you is a God-given illustration of how he has provided his people with salvation. Isn't it? Because think about this. How does Jesus heal him? What's the method? Like previously in the synagogue, what was it? Jesus just spoke. Just said a word and the demon-possessed man was cleansed, right? But how does Jesus do it here? Look at verse 41. He reaches out and he touches him. Do you see it? What's happening? Jesus at this point himself is becoming ceremonially unclean. He's touching a leper. Isn't he? Do you see the point to heal this man? Jesus is becoming contaminated by this man's disease. And don't you see in that a picture of what Christ would go on to do for you? What has he done for you? He has provided cleansing, hasn't he? But how at what cost? At what cost, friends? At all cost to himself. Your disease imputed to him. He himself being declared by your sickness of sin. Do you see it? He took your illness. And don't we see the most perfect illustration of that at the end here? Because again I say to you, how does the passage end? How does it end? This leper, where is he? He's cleansed. He is taken in from being ostracized. And think of yourself. He is now restored to the community of Israel. But friends, where is our Lord at the end? Through the healing? Because of the healing? He is now out in the lonely places. Our Lord is out in the wilderness. They have traded places. It is the great transaction. Friends, see here in Mark chapter 1 what Christ has done for you. He has provided cleansing, hasn't he? But all because he became sick to spiritual death by your, your own sin. So friends, I end with a, a question and it's obvious, isn't it? It's so obvious. You see this? healing that this episode points to has that has that healing come to you like if you're someone who's come to this church this morning and and you you are not a professing christian you are not born again of the lord jesus christ i wonder this morning do you not see that by your very nature that you are unwell Do you see that and recognize that? Do you see that before God, 
because of His holiness, that you are, you are dressed in filth. Do you see that? That that though you try hard to be good, though you try to do things that are right by your nature, you cry out in everything that you do, I am unclean. I am unclean. And do you not see from Mark 1 what you must do? Friends, you must pray the prayer of the leper. You must do as this man does. What does he do? He falls to his knees and he begs Jesus for healing. Friend, will you do that this morning? Will you beg Christ for the forgiveness of your sin? If you do that, then what happens? Full healing. A full salvation will be yours. And how? All by the work and all by the sacrifice of this, a most gracious and a most loving God. Let's pray.